0: Good morning, turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. So Galatians, welcome. We're in the second week. We're going to move a little bit further. Well, we won't start really taking in big chunks quite yet because last week, as I promised, we need to talk some about context. Why is Paul writing this letter? What's going on? Is he, just, is he just initiating something? Is he responding? Context. You've heard me say this before, and wow, it will not be the last time. To understand anything in life, but especially the Scriptures, and especially even then the letters, you've got to know what's going on, because we're just hearing one half of a conversation. Anybody remember that old comedian, Bob Newhart? He used to do a whole comedy routine, which was just him talking on a telephone, so you only heard one half of the conversation. And he'd say something that made you think, oh, they're talking about X. And then he'd say something else and realize, oh my gosh, I've totally misunderstood that. And that, that was the humor, that you only hear one side. But in scripture and in real life, that's often a a really dangerous thing. I think I've told you the example of, you come into church one day and you hear a a husband and a wife talking. One of them says to the other, look, I don't care how much you love her. If she does that again, she never sets foot in this house, ever, Now, what they're talking about totally changes that conversation. If it's a cat or a daughter, those are two totally, totally different conversations depending on the context. And if it is their daughter, then is the point that she just stole a car and wrecked it, or did she get a B in algebra? Because how you, what you do about that conversation will be totally different. It's the exact same words. But if she stole a car and wrecked it, then, wow, something's got to be done for her. If she got a B in algebra, wow, something's got to be done for one of her parents. It's a completely different application. We're hearing one side of the book of Galatians as we read this. And so we need to know what's going on. So let's read first, and then I'm going to use some of what Paul talks about in here as a jumping off point to tell you what we think is going on in this book. So we're going to read just verses 6 through 12. This is Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 12. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it from by revelation from Jesus Christ. So first thing is, let's just look at verse 10. It's this little aside. He's talking about the gospel beforehand, and then he'll pick the gospel back up in 11. But he just has this little place where he steps off. Am I now trying to win the approval... So we don't know exactly why Paul is writing Galatians. It's not mentioned in like the book of Acts. Nobody, we don't have anybody that writes you know, 50 years later and, and tells us more information about it. But we do know some of the things that are happening in the Christian world at this time. The original church from when Jesus dies and resurrected for the next 15 years or so, the original church, everybody in the church is, is Jewish. They were all Jews who now became Christians. Jesus was a Jew. Everybody who saw him in Jerusalem, they're all Jews. The whole church for the first 14 years, and I mean, it's reaching into the tens of thousands of people, it's growing like wildfire. Everybody in the church first was Jewish. Some were ethnically Jewish and grew up in the church. Others converted to Judaism, but they learn about Christianity from the synagogue, from other Jews. Everybody in the church has been a Jew first. Now, Paul, in 47 or 48 AD, Paul and his companions, they go off on what we call the first missionary journey, and they leave the area of Judaism. They they leave that sort of strip on the uh, the Mediterranean coast there where Israel is and all the Jewish settlements are, and they go north into what's modern-day Turkey. But this is Roman. It's not Jewish. It's Gentile, which means non-Jew in their language. It's all Gentile land. And Paul, first he goes to the synagogue and he talks to Jews, but then he goes out in the streets and he talks to Gentiles. And lots of non-Jews become Christians. So the church goes from being 100% Jewish and then Christian to all of a sudden you've got thousands of people who have just become Christian. And they don't know what to do with this back home in Jerusalem. There's a huge debate about whether you have to be a Jew first. It's like prerequisites. Right, if you want to take psych 4, first you got to take psych 1 and psych 2 and psych 3. They're not going to let you in otherwise. We all understand prerequisites in life. If you want to get a PhD in biochemistry, you're going to need a master's first. You're going to need a bachelor's before that. You're not just going to show up one day and say, "Oh yeah, you know, I want to I want to get my PhD. I don't know anything about this." There are prerequisites. The church is wrestling In the late 40s, so again, it's not even 20 years old yet, with do you have to be a Jew first? Is that the progression? First you become God's people, you become a Jew, you follow the law, gentlemen, you get circumcised, then you can become a Christian. Can God accept you in Christ if you're not already his people? as part of the Jews. And they call a council again, it's a huge issue. They have a whole council. It's the first council we know of ever in the church. And Paul and his companions come, and Peter comes, and all the apostles, and the disciples, and the elders, everybody gets together. And they decide, no. No, you don't have to, which is great, because we're gonna have a membership class afterwards, and I'm gonna ask you in membership class, you you need to be baptized to join the church. But if these guys had said yes, you need to be Jewish, I wouldn't just be asking, gentlemen, have you been baptized? <laughs> I, there'd be a prerequisite to that beforehand, before we could baptize you, this, a little surgical procedure. They decide, no, you don't need to be Jewish. God saves people, and, and they look to the Old Testament for that. Like, this is what the scriptures say. That God will pour out his spirit on the Gentiles. God will call the Gentiles. It doesn't say God will make the Gentiles Jews. So they decide you don't have to. But there is a large group of people in the church used to be pharisees after jesus comes back from the dead the pharisees the guys who opposed him just ruthlessly opposed him the whole time he was walking around they're kind of like wow uh that's impressive what do we do with that because he said he was going to get killed and then he said he was going to come back and it happens and there are a lot of people who take god's word very seriously that when jesus comes back from the dead they start saying Oh, he was telling the truth about that. Was he telling the truth about everything? And the early church has tons of people who used to be Pharisees. Now, they are sincerely believe that you must be a Jew first. You got to be Jewish, and then you can become a Christian. And when the council decides, nope, you don't have to, you can just, anybody can become a Christian, it seems like there were a bunch of guys that didn't take that well. And they start sending out missionaries unquote, to follow Paul. And after Paul goes somewhere, they send people to teach, again, air quotes, to teach everyone the full truth of Christianity, that you need to be Jewish first. And we don't know exactly what they say because we don't have any records of from them. We only have records of other people talking about them. But it seems like they're saying things to these folks at these churches like, "Oh, you know, Paul's just the advance team. Paul's just the beginning. He just comes in and gets things set up. We're here to finish the job." Right? And they kind of seem to be saying things, "You know, Paul, you know, he's not really one of the he's not one of the big 12." Right sure he's an apostle like there are lots of people who are apostle means herald sure he's a herald but he's not one of the original guys he's he's kind of out there on his own and he 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 sort of just tells you what you want to hear i mean who wants to hear you need to be circumcised right so paul won't tell you that cuz he wants you to like him and he wants you to support him and accept him you know that they, they make all these accusations about paul and throughout lots of paul's letters there are these little asides where he's, he's arguing back against that. And that's probably what he's doing here. He's probably addressing where these folks have said something along the lines of, look, Paul just tells you what you want to hear. He's not going to tell you the hard stuff. We're here to tell you the hard stuff. Paul gave you the easy first step, believe in Christ. That's great, wonderful. We're so glad you've done that. But there's actually more. There's a few prerequisites that you you need to know. And Paul, wow, wow. Um, Is he gonna come down like a ton of bricks on these guys? And again, you you see hints of this throughout many of his letters But it's in Galatians, his first one, that that he just unloads. Apparently, he didn't have an editor at this point, and nobody to come along and say, maybe we should tone that down a little, because he just unloads on them. So let's look at the things he says. Normally, if you go through Paul's letters, he has the intro, which I've told you is formulaic in the ancient world, and then he prays for them. So, Galatians, next next letter is Ephesians. He's got the intro and then praise. And then, after he goes, his intro is really long in Ephesians. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And he tells them all about his prayers. Next letter, after Ephesians, Philippians, he does his little intro. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers, I always pray with joy. And he goes on to talk about praying for them. Next letter, Colossians, does the intro. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we pray for you. And he goes on to pray for them. That's how he writes letters. You look in his letter, almost every single one follows that pattern. Uh, uh, There ain't no prayer here. (laughs) (laughs) he's not like, oh, I thank God for you. I mean, that's the first words out of his mouth to almost everyone else. I'm so grateful for what God is doing to you. First words out of his mouth after the intro that you have to have is, I am gobsmacked at you people. I mean, listen to the word. I don't know if they come across as strongly as what he's saying. Astonished, deserting, perverted. These are strong words. Paul is hot. He is not happy about There's no thanksgiving. There's no greeting. There's no prayer. There is just, what are you doing? What are you thinking? I I don't think it comes across in the translation, but he is being super sarcastic here. He's using these word plays and the way he's arranging things. He's... Like he says to them, you know, you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. If I was gonna try and translate that like more idiomatically, rather than keeping to his words, right? He says something along the lines of, oh, you know, so you're turning, gospel means good news, remember, right? So now you believe another good news that isn't good at all. And no one would think it was good, except someone is messing with you. Like he is in their face about this. Again, it doesn't come out in translation. But I've told you the language Paul's writing in, it loves to stick little words together to make big words. Several of the words in this passage have the word change in them. They're compound words that have change as one of the parts. Because the thing these guys are coming to the church and saying is, oh, Paul told you part of it, now we're filling it in. We're adding the rest for you. Like, you know this much, now we're giving you the rest. And Paul, even in these first few verses, is saying, nobody's adding anything, you are changing You weren't like going in the right direction, and they're veering you a little bit. He says they are turning you in the other direction. He is hot. Now remember, the people who are here, who are teaching them, look, oh, so faith in Christ, absolutely, must have it, must, 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 but there are some prerequisites. There's some other things you need to do. Those people are Christians, I mean, I think giving them the benefit of the doubt, they are sincere Christians. They sincerely believe that you must be Jewish first. They're wrong, but they sincerely believe it, and they are teaching other people. And what Paul says about these people, and he says it twice in 8 and 9, is let them be under God's curse. Now, that is the absolute most polite way you could translate what Paul says. What Paul says is let them be anathematized which is a technical term for may God curse you and send you to hell. Paul is saying, if anyone is telling you anything other than you must believe in Christ, then may God send them straight to hell. That's not something he says very often. If you've read through Acts, Paul's opposed all the time. He might have had a bit of an abrasive personality. Not sure about that. Never met the man gonna meet him someday don't want to get into trouble for saying anything bad about him oh you're the i remember what you said about me in that sermon it seemed like though he could rub people the wrong way because everywhere he goes he's getting kicked out stoned thrown in jail beaten we have lots of his responses to people the man is not shy about telling people what he thinks Right? He calls one guy the son of Satan. He tells other people, you know, you don't want to live forever? Fine, you can just die. We'll go talk to them. Right? He has no trouble. The man does not tell people you're going to hell. Right? This is so strong. And he's saying this about believers. Like, Paul is so, so Intense. That they understand this. If you don't understand this fundamental truth about the gospel, then you will get most everything else wrong one way or another. This fundamental truth, and we've already talked about it last week, because he harped on it there. Remember, he said it four different times in four different ways last week. This is from God. He says, I'm an apostle sent from God, not men. God raised up Jesus, Jesus who gave himself. All this was done according to God's will. When Paul talks about the gospel in those first words, the thing he talks about the most is that it comes from God, and he does it here again. Look at what he says at the beginning of this little section. You're deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Remember, the word grace means gift for them. You are leaving the one who called you with a gift. Who called you to live by a gift. Not you found, not you did, not you got, not you figure out. You were called and given a gift. Now, if you ask someone how they became a Christian, ask me how I became a Christian, right? We say I. I heard this, like I would say I grew up in this church but I didn't really understand. I I thought the gospel was rules. And then I went to college and I met all these other Christians who knew a God that I didn't seem to know, right? We always relate it from ourselves. There's no other way we could tell the story. We tell it how it happened to us. But Paul says over and over again that behind that, behind all the I did, I heard, I understood, I chose, I believe, I accepted, behind all of those eyes is God, that God called us and gave us a gift. When Elizabeth and I were first married, we lived in Boone, North Carolina. And we were invited to an Easter egg hunt at the house of a, a family there. And they had invited lots of little kids. These are like four, five, six-year-olds. And then they'd invited a bunch of adults. Because you don't want to let four, five, and six-year-olds wander around your house randomly looking for Easter eggs. So we're all assigned to a kid. And so I'm walking around with this kid. And we're in the living room. And there's this potted plant. Now It's fake right? But it's like a potted tree. It's about yay high and it's got a trunk and little branches and they've put an egg in the branches, right? So there's an egg sitting in like, you know, a, a little triangle of branches. Well, it's right above this kid's head. He never sees it, right? Because he's like this the whole time, like, let's go look at the plant, okay? Right? Let's look all around the plant. I'm looking, I'm looking, like, let's look up, okay? Yeah, right? I mean, we, this just went on. Finally, I reached over and went, pop, right? And the egg fell down into the moss or whatever. What did the kid say? I found one. (laughs) Yeah, you found about that much of that egg. Because that's what it seems like to us, right? You're just standing there in this egg. I found an egg. He didn't find an egg. I gave him an egg. Behind all of his, and he was searching, and he was hunting, and he was working, and he was looking, but he couldn't see it. Behind all of that was me, I put an egg there for him. And when he got it, he said, I found it. And Paul says, that's what happened to us in salvation. Yet we searched, we looked, we found, we understood. We could all tell stories of the way we became Christians. But behind that was God with a gift. Behind that was a God who called to us. We didn't call to him. He called us and he gave us a gift Paul says. It's the same thing he says in 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the good news that I told you, it's not from people. I didn't get it from people. I wasn't taught it from people. I got it from Jesus. Now, if you go back to Acts and read about Paul's conversion, he's not sitting in a cave and God speaks to him. He's headed for the city of Damascus where he's going to look to persecute Christians. We'll get into all of this next week because he'll use himself as an example of all this when we get into next week's section. But Paul says... Excuse me, Acts says Paul's going along, and God blinds him, speaks to him. And God says to him, go to Damascus and wait. Somebody will tell you what to do. God just leaves him there for three days to stew, blind, in Damascus. And then God calls a guy named Ananias, who's a Christian. says, Ananias, go to Paul and tell him these things. Put your hands on him. Say this. He'll get his sight back, right? Paul heard the gospel from a guy named Ananias, I mean, Paul didn't hear the gospel in a cave with a dark a noise coming out of the sky or anything. People were involved. But he says this, I didn't receive it from people. I didn't, I didn't get taught it. Why? Because why did Ananias tell Paul? Because God told him to. Why did Paul tell the Galatians? God told him to. Behind everything, Paul says, is God. The gospel comes from God. Jesus did not die for me when I accepted him. He died for me 2,000 years ago. Jesus died for me, came back to life for me, and saved me. And then I accepted. Then I'm like the kid, oh, I found one. But it was all him. He did all of that. that. That is the fundamental core of the gospel, that it is not us. It is him. And yes, we all have a story that from our perspective, We found the egg. We didn't find it. We never saw it. We could have hunted day and night, up and down, high and low. There was someone standing beside us who called us there and gave it to us. And Paul is insistent. And I mean like, you know, may God send them to hell if they don't acknowledge this insistent. He is insistent that the Galatians understand this this comes from God what Jesus did you didn't ask him to do it he's not responding to you we don't say yes save me and Jesus says fine I'll die for you we don't say Jesus help help me I'm gonna die and Jesus says fine I'll grant you immortal life Jesus does that for us and there are no prerequisites It's his choice. He just does it. There's this verse in Acts. It's actually right before Paul goes to Galatia. He's in a town right on the border of Galatia. He's preaching. He's preaching to the Jews. They eventually kick him out. Again, that whole abrasive personality thing, perhaps. He preaches out into the city, and it says, All who were appointed to eternal life believed. Not all who understood, or all who spoke Greek well enough to understand the guy. Or all who were steeped in Hebrew theology. And so they recognized all who were appointed. All whom God had decided at that point that he was calling and offering this grace, this gift to, they all believed. Because that's the order. The order is not we believe and God saves us. The order is God saves us. And we believe. That's the fundamental underpinning of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, It has these profound implications for us. Like, it should change how we think. It should change how we think about ourselves. Like, why are you a Christian? Again, we all have a story. I have one, you have one. It all involves us doing things, thinking things, finding things. But you must understand that under that is Jesus. Below that, behind that, is Jesus calling you and giving you the gift of eternal life the gift of salvation. He has already done that. It's not you. I am not a Christian because I am so smart and so clever. I'm not a Christian because I went to this school or I grew up in this house. I'm not a Christian because I won the genetic lottery and was born on the continent of America instead of the continent of India. It's not me. I don't get to take credit for it. We should be this profoundly humble people, there are many things in your life that you have worked for and you have earned. In fact, that's probably most of your life. If you have a degree, if you have a job, if you have wealth, status, success, cars, whatever it is, you have probably earned those things. You have worked hard. Now, Paul will actually say somewhere else that the only reason you work hard is because God gave you the energy, so you shouldn't be proud about that anyway. But he's not saying that here. We'll get to that when he says that. Here what I think he's saying. Lots of stuff that you have worked hard for. And and absolutely, you deserve that. And one day you will die, and all that will be gone. Whatever wealth you you have accumulated, you won't have it anymore. Whatever houses, cars, status, success, whatever titles you have behind your name, feel free to put them on your tombstone if you want. But they are gone when you die. And if you know Christ, when you die you will enter into life. And you will look back on this and it will seem like like a puff of air. C.S. Lewis writes this this story about people in in heaven and hell. And heaven is so real that you can't even walk on the grass if you're not a Christian. Because it's real. It's really there. It's solid in a way nothing in this world is solid. I think it's a great analogy. Of what that next life is going to be. Everything we did here. Paul said. Paul has degrees. He's got letters after his name. He's highly respected. He trained under the number one rabbi at the time. He is the number one student of the number one guy. And he says that's all trash. He actually says a much stronger word than trash, which we won't use in a family-friendly church service. He says it's garbage. None of that matters. That's not life. Someday you are going to enter into life, real, true life, like none of us have ever tasted before. And you have absolutely nothing to do with that. You don't get that because you're smart or you're clever. You don't even get that because you believed. You believed because God was behind that and gave it to you. It's all a gift, Paul says. We should be the most humble of all people. Whether we have achieved greatness in the world or not, we still should be these incredibly humble people because it's not us. We, we're not where we are because we're so clever. We're so smart. We understood what other people didn't understand. We should be these phenomenally humble people and it should dramatically change how we view everyone else around us because if salvation is a gift that God gives to people, then it doesn't matter what they're like either. It doesn't matter what we're like. It doesn't matter what they're like. It's God. It's God calling people and gifting them We look at people and we say, oh, they'll never become a Christian. There's no way they're ever going to believe. Why? Because we see them. We see something about them, their personality, their life, their actions, their wants, their desires. If it's not them, nothing about them matters. If I say, hey, I'm going to walk down and hand somebody $5, which I'm not going to do, by the way, so don't get your hopes up, but I can hand it to whoever I want. You can't look across the thing and say, oh, well, Becca's not going to get it. She already works here. It has nothing to do with Becca. It's me. I choose. I walk down and hand somebody $5. We can't say about anyone. No hope. No chance. If God chooses, then it will happen. Now that should make us incredibly hopeful. There's no one... Outside the grace of God. There's no one on the planet, there's no one in history that God can't choose, that God can't decide to call and to gift all who were appointed to life in that city, believed. There is no one outside the grace of God because it doesn't have to do with them. It doesn't, there's no prerequisites. It doesn't matter what they've done or not done. It doesn't matter where they're born or who they are. If God so chooses, then it happens. We ought to be these incredibly humble people about ourselves, and we ought to be hopeful about the rest of the planet, because God can do whatever God wants, and that ought to change how we view making disciples. Be disciples, make disciples. I mean, that's what we're about, that's what we want to be. Those are the things that Jesus told us. And you've heard this analogy all the time, right? Two wings of the plane in discipleship. you got baptism and you've got training. you got people becoming Christians and you've got teaching people about being Christians. Helping people grow as Christians. And let's face it, it's the evangelism side that's the scary one. But it's the evangelism side that's the easy one. Because it ain't us. We don't have anything to do with that. Jesus tells a parable. It's called the parable of the sower. It's about a farmer. and It's about the word of God and people receiving or rejecting it. The farmer is sowing seed and some of the seed falls on a path and people just, it's people who are like, no, I couldn't care less about that. Leave me alone. Some seed falls and and it looks like they're interested, but nothing ever, it's hard and nothing ever comes of it. Some seed, like I said, you know, people like, they, they 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 looks like they're growing. It looks like, yeah, they definitely want to be Christians. But, but then life is hard, and there's lots going on, and frankly, they're just not that committed to it, and, and they fall away. And some seed, it says, falls on, on good soil, and it grows up, and it produces a crop. Like, that's what seed's supposed to do. Now, let me ask you, have you ever seen a farmer going like this, planting? Nobody plants like that. No farmer goes out in his backyard and starts chucking seed and some of it ends up on his driveway and some of it ends up in the dog food and some of it ends up in the wood pile and hey, some of it ends up in an actual pound of dirt where it grows. Nobody plants like that. But that's the way we we plant seeds, right? You've heard that expression. That's the way we plant seeds. When when we do this wing of the plane, the baptism, evangelism of the plane, we're just tossing stuff out there because it's not us. We don't convince anybody, we don't change anybody, we don't argue anybody, because it's not them understanding our great argument. It's not our incredible rhetorical ability that pulls them in. It's not our fabulously crafted argument that's suddenly like, oh, I, of course. It's not a math class. Like, oh, I didn't understand this, and didn't understand this, and then my teacher made this analogy and suddenly it all made sense. It's God behind these things. Or otherwise, we're like that kid. I don't see the egg. It's, it, I, I, there's no egg here. Where's the egg? We will never find it. God must call us and give it to us. God must be the one at work. So all you're doing when you talk to people about Christ, all you're doing is tossing seeds out. Yep, yeah, some of them land on the, on the driveway and nothing happens. Some of them land in the wood pile, and it looks like it's going to grow, but uh, it never does. Some of them land in the dog food and get eaten. Some it grows. Nobody, nobody here has the power to make anything grow. I mean, Even here in the real world, I can scatter seed randomly and you can take the most absolute care possible of planting your seed in good soil and watering it and fertilizing it and talking to the plant. Come on, little plant, you can do it. And encouraging the plant, you can't make it grow. No one on this planet has the power to make seeds grow. They grow because God has ordained that god is behind that sure we say all the time i grew this plant no you didn't you just planted it maybe you watered it maybe for light. maybe you did lots of good things to it maybe you did nothing to it we all know people that we do lots of work and they do no work and they get much better results on their plants we can't make anything grow you can't make anybody believe they don't believe and then god saves them god saves them and then they believe so all you're doing when you talk to people you're just tossing out seeds. What happens to them? That's God's business. That's up to the Lord. He's the one who has to handle that, not us. We ought to be incredibly humble, and we ought to be incredibly hopeful, and we ought to be chucking seeds everywhere and see what grows. When you talk to people about Christ, you're just giving God's Spirit an opportunity to do something. But that's him. He is behind all of that. Now, the teaching part, this wing of the plane, oh, yeah, we're responsible for that. I mean, uh, Scripture says I am going to be judged for how I teach you, right? I mean, it's not like I want to spend every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon pouring over six verses of Greek text to make sure I do a good job. Well, sometimes I do, honestly, but don't tell anyone. (laughs) But there's lots of times I would rather be doing other things. But I'm going to get judged for what I tell you. Like, Jesus is going to have things to say to me about whether I did this well. There's a reason I spend three hours before this. I mean, from 7 to 10, I am in my office. If you don't like this sermon, pity me, because this is the seventh time I've heard it. I've practiced it six times before now. Because God's going to judge me on that. Jesus will have words for me. What you do with it, I can't control. But I absolutely have to control that I teach you well that I teach you truthfully, that I do my part, and all those things. The training part, yes, we get judged on that. But not this side. This side, you're just chucking stuff. Man, you ought to be just tossing, you ought to be just tossing Jesus every, here's a little Jesus, here's a little Jesus, here's a little Jesus. Toss it wherever. See what he does, because that's his business We should be the most humble people around because we know it's not us. We should be the most hopeful people around because we know God can do anything, does do anything, can save anyone, and we ought to be just talking about Jesus all over the place and seeing what he does with it, seeing where it ends up, seeing what happens because you never know. And I guarantee you, if I asked for stories, I could get a boatload of them right now from you all on the You have no. You're you're talking to these people about Christ, and this person comes up to you afterwards, and says they believe because of what you said. You were talking to them. You didn't even know they were there. I mean, that kind of stuff happens because it's not us. It it doesn't matter where we're aiming and what we're doing. It's him. He is behind all of this. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that you be humble, that you be hopeful. And that, wow, you are excited about just chucking Jesus out there all over the place. Because it's not you. Again, there is tons of stuff as a Christian. It's on you. This is expected of you. You need to do this. This is required. There are lots of rules in Christianity, but this isn't one of them. This is all. 100% God. And Paul is going to hammer on that throughout this book. If you think there is anything else that needs to happen, if you think there's anything else people need to do, if, if you think there's anything you've got to add to what, yes, yeah, sure, Jesus died, but there's this one other thing. Get lost, Paul says. He says it a lot stronger than that. Get, Get, go away. All we need is Jesus. He's already done it. Like we are just out there chucking stuff and seeing what happens. So I'm going to pray and you pray. See if the Lord tells you anything, right? Is it, do you possibly have some of that mixed up, right? Maybe in your mind, are you thinking, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I believe this, this is me. And you look down on people who didn't. Maybe are you hopeless about people who don't believe? Maybe are you afraid to say, to talk to anybody? See what God's spirit says to you. Humble, hopeful, chucking Jesus wherever you go. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you. I am immensely grateful that salvation does not depend on us. That that it is not that we must understand this. We must believe this. We must must come and make this happen. You have done this. You are behind this. It, It is all you. It's not human. It didn't come from people. It comes from you. Thank you gosh, Lord, I am so, so grateful that this comes from you and not us, that no one is ever going to become a Christian because I convinced them that you save people and you delight to use us. You used a guy named Ananias a couple thousand years ago to talk to Paul, but it was you. It was your decision. You had done this. Thank you. Lord, we are so, so grateful. I pray for me, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would be exactly what we've talked about. We would be the humblest people around because we know it is not us, that this is a gift from you, Jesus. You have called us and given us a gift. We didn't earn it and we could never pay it back. We should be the most humble people around and we should be the most hopeful people around because you can save anyone and you can do anything. And if you say it, it will happen. It does not depend on us but we do get to go along for the ride. Thank you. That's really kind. And so I pray that, yeah, we would be people who are just like that farmer in the parable of the sower. We're just tossing seed. We're tossing it everywhere. We're tossing the word of God. We're tossing you, Jesus, your presence and your goodness everywhere we go. Because just like Paul preaching in Pisidian Antioch, you had appointed people to life and you used Paul talking to them to save them. But it was you who did it. You had appointed them. You saved them. In that case, you did it through Paul. In other cases, you did it through other people. I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would be bold because we know it's not us. We know it's you. Jesus, make us humble. Make us hopeful. Make us bold. We pray this in your name. Amen.